Good evening. I'm Paul Sexton. And I'm Bobby Burns. And this is Wayward Weekly. Around the world and into your home, the stories that touch your life. This is Wayward Weekly. All right. Welcome to another episode of Wayward Weekly. I believe this is episode 13, Paul. Uh, yes, sir. We're, we're getting up there and we're getting stuff done. Um, how are you doing this week? Good. I've honestly just come to the realization that all of this is becoming a blur. Like I was even trying to remember our podcast from last week, but we've been talking about the protest so much that uh, I don't really know what points we were really hitting, you know, in order to, to kind of go back. But uh, but yeah, my week's been going really well. So yeah. far, so good. How about yours? Um, can't complain. Just been reflecting about kind of like what you said, that uh, every episode's sort of been about protests and things like that. Last week, we started talking more about how to be solution oriented with this stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I really think that's what is going to be extremely important moving forward and extremely important so far as like, I don't know, just where I want to focus my attention and in my energy in general. Um, because I don't know, there's, there's just enough people naysaying everything and not enough people, um, really trying to generate serious solutions to, uh, the problem, you know, what I thought was was interesting is, um, did you listen to the Brett Weinstein episode of Joe Rogan from a few weeks back? Yeah, I did. Um, I thought it was interesting. What did you think about that podcast? I thought it was interesting. Um, I think he's susceptible to um, what we were talking about, just confirmation bias, where you know he's on social media and he gets to see all this stuff that's coming in from his feed, and he was talking to Joe at one point, and he was like you're not seeing this. You're not seeing these like, man, I, I see shit all the time. I don't have time to see everything that comes my way. And he's like, Oh, well, I'll have to send you this stuff. But you know, there's a certain segment of the population because of his history at Evergreen state university where he had a kind of a blow up there with the, the campus right. and some of the students and he ended up leaving and he's kind of, I think getting one side of the narrative, just like a lot of people are getting one side of the narrative and it's kind of reflective in the way that he talks and he speaks sure. about how he feels about the current climate. But he's always a really interesting guest. Like I don't, you know, get upset if I, if I disagree with him or anything, I like hearing different points of view and I like hearing his point of view. Uh, but I just, I don't think that it was, um, I don't think it's this huge revolution that uh, he seems to be talking about. Like, is this, you know, Marxist sort of re revolution that's coming? Yeah, I mean, I agree with him in those respects, definitely, because I found myself much of the podcast going like, well, I'm someone who's gone to the protests and rallies, and I don't think that at all. So this is a huge overgeneralization. And really kind of the reason I brought it up is um, I think I started just kind of reflecting a little bit, and I'm like, Oh, I think that pe because I wasn't directly outspoken against certain things or because I wasn't like, because I was a little bit vague in some of my postings, people thought like he did and thought that I'm like this extremist, like, like, you know, um, abolish all the police across the United States and, and get yeah. rid of this. Like, 
I think now that going back and looking at some of the comments that people were commenting on my post were that because someone who was commenting on my post said, finally, someone with some sensibility and like posted about the Joe Rogan podcast and I listened to it and I'm like, well, I disagree with some things. He he's talking like he recognizes there are issues with police brutality and that uh, you would want to invest tons of monies into um, black communities specifically because they've been untreated uh, unfairly treated in history. And I'm like, so we're kind of on the same page with many things, just not the wording of things, not the semantics of it. Not like he's like, this isn't racism at all. And I'm like, well, by, by what society's definition of racism is, I think that is that. And that's really all there is to it. And I think that's all there is to it with some of these people who appear to be on the opposing side is just like, Oh, I'm not racist. And it's like, well, maybe in the sense that you don't think the white race is superior to other races genetically, um, that is the textbook definition. And I, at one point in my life also went by that, but that's just not the way language is used these days. It's used so loosely. And I think that creates a lot of problems, Paul. Like I, I think we don't have a lot of accurate terms to describe all the, um, a word you like to use a lot, like all the nuances of this situation. Like, yeah, we've almost, we, we've used the term racist to become more encompassing. So, to the point that like almost everything's racist. I think I titled one of the last episodes. Everyone's a little bit racist. Have you, have you ever seen, uh, the musical, uh, Broadway musical Avenue Q? No, no. I highly suggest going and seeing that. Um, even just looking it up on online. Um, it is a, uh, puppet show with people and puppets, sort of like Sesame Street, but for adults with like people doing drugs and smoking crack and like, um, what was that? I said, oh, perfect. (laughs) Yes, it is perfect. Um, And one of the songs in the musical is everyone's a little bit racist. Um, And uh, anyways, um, the, the term has just become so encompassing that it's like you could almost say, everything is racist and and to a degree you might be right but i think it's time to come up with some new words that help describe the degree to which someone is racist because you can describe someone wearing a kkk hood um in the 1800s you can call them racist but you can call someone who is for um I'm trying to think of the term that I I heard used to describe this. Uh, Are you familiar with like sociology much at all or no? Uh, Just vaguely. Do you, are you familiar with the term assimilation? Yeah. To assimilate into society and everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're basically familiar with cultural assimilation. Exactly. Cultural assimilation means that uh, a culture who moves to the United States or vice versa, uh, especially a group of them, and and it pertains more to America because America um, has had significant numbers of groups of people move here at different times. Not to say other people haven't, like Peru has a huge influx of Japanese immigrants at, at some point in time. I'm not sure specifically when. Um, but, uh, so 
the assimilation idea is that, um, well, black people um, who who live here should uh, adopt our cultures um, because there are issues with uh, between blacks and whites, and it's not their fault, but they should just adopt our culture. And it's like, is that just as racist as the guy wearing the KKK hood and, and burning places and bombing places, or is it not? And um, well, I don't think it's racist because I think there's two different ways of looking but at it. Some there's, people do think it's racist. There's a book I'm listening to right now called uh, Stamp. But it's, ign- it's just ignorance, though. I don't think it's it. There's a difference between being intentionally racist and then just being ignorant. It's just, I mean, couldn't you say the same exact thing about someone just like, you know, uh, like I used to drink like a crazy person whenever I would go out with friends and everything. And there were some people that are like, you know, can't you just drink in moderation? It's like. That, that just wasn't me. I didn't have that perspective. Like mm-hmm. with me, it was just all or nothing sort of thing. And that's just an individual thing. But, you know, we place expectations on people and we think that things are just easy. You should just do it in a, in a heartbeat and just kind of fall into line. Like you, you know, rolling down your windows when a police officer pulls you over and you put your dome light on, both hands on the wheel. We just have these expectations that everyone should act accordingly. Right. And we just know that that isn't true like so there's just so there are people who are arguing that is racist though and i i might agree with you and say that that is ignorance um but there are people who are saying that that that's racist and my point is is that we need to at this point in time i think attempt to come up with some better language and not for the sake of saying that um someone like the term racist, I think, bl- uh, blankets that what somebody's doing is wrong. Okay. Yeah. Um, the reason I would like to come up with different terminology isn't to get away from it and hide the fact that somebody is doing something wrong, but so that when you call somebody that, it doesn't have the instantaneous emotional reaction to it. Um, I think that is the big issue with blanketing that term against someone who's an assimilationist, um, where they might just be a little bit more ignorant. And yes, it is still saying that one race uh, is culturally superior in a given context therefore you you know that there's like cultural racism or or whatever um but somebody who's thinking that isn't necessarily saying you know um that uh we're superior in every given way it's just in this context in this culture like you should behave like us we shouldn't have to behave like you i get where the idea that that's racist is coming from again i'm just saying if you call someone who thinks that a racist, uh, if you call somebody who thinks that, if you call them a racist, um, they are probably going to think you are categorizing them with somebody else and they are going to immediately shut you down. And so I'm looking for more language here. Um, I'm, I'm saying we should start discussing more language, coming up with different terms and really getting into the nuances of this type of stuff so that people aren't immediately being lumped into these categories because it is not not different enough. And I don't know if that's that's good or if that's bad. Again, I mean, I think this whole thing is about getting rid of categories and not seeing them, yeah. but I think that's a little ridiculous or idealistic. Like, I don't think that's possible, you know? Um, someone saying like, oh, well, you know, you're you're talking about race stuff and isn't this just becoming dividing races even more? And it's like, 
Look, I honestly can't imagine a world in which we don't see a difference between races, whether it's, um, you know, uh, what we like to eat or what we enjoy for fun. And you might think, well, that just has more to do with culture. Yeah, sure. It does. And culture also tends to coincide with race, not on a one-to-one scale, but like it, it very closely coincides with that. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is I just think we're always going to see that difference. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a negative difference though. Like, you know, you notice race because you just notice that someone's, Mm -hmm. uh, has a different, uh, skin tone and yeah. but there's not necessarily the baggage associated with it it's just something that we notice and it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing no you know it doesn't have it, to it be just, a negative thing at all yeah and i i actually think that with what you were doing on facebook and everything i get the feeling that there are a lot of people that are just already assuming that you're a liberal and maybe they're assuming too that i'm a liberal as well and i mean anyone that knows me when i was 25 years old and younger, like, you know, I was as Republican conservative as they come. Uh, but I didn't have any of the racial connotations with it, but I bet you if I was a 25 year old now and I still had those thoughts, a lot of people probably would be calling me a racist. And the thing is, is that it's not intentional. Like, like, like there would be no intentional racism with me. Did you, Get what I'm saying? It's like it's well, like with, I do, with, and I with think homophobia. I think, I think that's a lot part of people. Of, sorry, real quick. I think that's part of the issue is that some of the people who are are like commenting against me are thinking that I'm possibly so liberal in my views that what I'm saying, if you don't agree with it, I think you're a racist, and they're like trying to or defend themselves because because now they're racist that they don't agree with me and they're trying to say, no, like you need to look at this or look at that. And I just, I don't know. I feel like right now it's like all one big miscommunication. Um, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It could be like, no, everyone's just really, really racist, but I I don't think it's that. I think everyone is a little racist. Well, everyone is capable of racism. I mean, we see it all the time back and forth between all the different races. I mean, I've been, like I told you, uh, I think it was last episode where I, my coworker said that she just doesn't like white people. Mm-hmm. And then I just simply just said, well, you've basically become the person that you can't stand. You know, the white racist person that you can't stand. You've built a caricature in your mind and you've never gotten, uh, taken the opportunity to get to know me. I mean, and after that point, we never had another issue. <clears throat> and honestly, uh, we had, I think... I think it was just the one black guy that was working at this particular hotel. And when it came to racism, he caught the shit end of the barrel. Like he would feel the brunt of it. And I was, you know, just this token white guy as well. I mean, it was all minority groups from, (laughs) you know, whether they're Filipino or uh, Mexican or what have you. I was just the token white guy and I got treated really, really well. But then there was a few examples where that wasn't the case. But the reason why it didn't upset me is because I didn't, I don't like come from a history 
of being treated less than just because right. of the color of my skin. Right. So there is a, a difference. And that's why I said that the white privilege was kind of a clever term because it's this term that it's basically stripping white people of all of the good things they may have done throughout their life or hard work and saying none of that matters because it was just handed to you. But there were times where I think that's I was, a good point to bring up again. Explain it one more time. I know you just sort of explained it, but let's dig into that because when I was listening to two episodes ago, um, yeah. you know, I, I was really trying to get in and follow you there. And I'm like, I, I just didn't get it. But then I listened to a second time. I'm like, Oh, I kind of do get it. The, here was the issue is you equated it to like a racial slur in the sense that it was like, it, it elicited the same feelings and evoked the same feelings. Um, a, a similar, and, and, a, a similar type of feeling. And yes. And what I want to point out is it's like, it's totally different, but the same thing. I, I get what you're saying now. Yes. And it, and in a sense, it is the same thing. It doesn't come from the same place. So there is this different context, but think about that. If I just say, again, like you said, if you're like, oh, that's just white privilege, what you're saying is, and again, I, I know you already said this. But I just like, I don't know, I really want to break it down because it took me a minute to get it is that you didn't earn anything. Everything's been handed to you on a silver spoon. And that makes us go, yeah, I worked. And the exact opposite, when someone uses like a racial term, it's like, you're no good no matter what you do. And it's like, but I'm doing good all the time. And it's like, yeah. nope, yeah. no, you're not. And, it, and that whole term, like white privilege, it's like, nope, no, you didn't. You didn't earn shit. Like say it yeah. all you want, but you're a lazy fucking piece of shit. Well, look at affirmative and everybody action. everybody just gave it to you. So, so I do Look at get, affirmative action. It's uh, the same exact thing that they'll, they'll say, you know, white people will, uh, in a, a mean derogatory sense, will just say, Hey, uh, the reason why you're in this school is because you didn't earn it. Affirmative action. We know why you got here. And it's yes. that same condescending sort of bullshit. Right. I, I mean, I hope we get to the point where we get past all of this stuff where, but also you know, we don't like have to affirmative action, privilege and, uh, affirmative action. It's stupid if somebody doesn't get that because now you're like negating the context of, of some affirmative action. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the whole point of that is to say, uh, at times that like, you know, um, something happened here. Um, Paul, your house burnt down and because you've had a tough past, like, uh, you know, um, we're going to give you, um, and let's say your whole apartment complex burned down with tons of people. And so everybody got this settlement of like a hundred thousand dollars. And it's like, well, Paul, the only reason you have that nice car is, uh, is, uh, because you got that insurance money. It's like, well, couldn't I have had a nice car before this? Like, couldn't I have had a good job and like been earning money and have always had this? You shouldn't just assume that I could only afford this because yeah. I got insurance money. And that's the whole thing with a, a affirmative action. It's like, yeah, yeah. So, sure, like some people definitely need the help to get there because that's going to help get people back to where they need and even out the playing field and help communities um, not continually be at the brunt end of, of poverty and be culturally unequal. But there are people who definitely still deserve to be there and who always did and would regardless of that and to assume that somebody uh, is there only because of that is rude. A, B, to even bring it up, even if they are there only because of that is still insensitive. So, so let's say it is the case that, that the person is only there 
because they wouldn't have made it otherwise and they took your spot or they took my spot and you go, yeah, it's only because of that. Okay, so what do you want then? The alternative? That they don't get it and that you get it? That you're the dumbest fucking white guy in the room and you didn't get it and now you're there and you're only there because now we can't have it. Uh, Affirmative action. But if we did, you're so fucking stupid that you just wouldn't have made it in either. Okay? And now now you're in. You happy, baby? We we let you in. You were the bottom 1% of the white people that we cut to get in. And now um, all of the... Things that we're trying to offset um, as like reparations, quote unquote, to to help fix black communities in America, we're just not going to do that for you. So you get to go to UCLA because, you know, you're the bottom 1% and you don't think other people are deserving to help go give back to their communities. Uh, And so I just think it's extremely insensitive um, to think that like... You're accusing somebody of not deserving to be there, but you are already the bottom 1% who probably didn't deserve to be there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I again, it's it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like a dick saying that, but at the same time, it's like, dude, look at what people are trying to do. They're trying to help a situation and you're just concerned that you didn't get in. Like, hopefully you applied somewhere else. Like... Do you really like? Is that well, going to make just it lazy? Go ahead. It's it's lazy. Like if, if just labeling. You know, someone gets into a school and they're from have a different color or background uh, to their skin. You know, and everything. And you just automatically say, "Oh, well, it must be because of affirmative action." And then someone that uh, sees someone who's uh, white and middle class, and it's just like, "Oh, well, uh, it's just because of white privilege." Like it, it, both are just lazy. They absolutely and you're are. just trying yeah, and you're just trying to to upset the the other person while making yourself feel better knowing that the other person is uh, feeling angry because you just blindly labeled them like that without ever trying to get to know the person. And I think that's why there has to be a dividing line between people that are intentionally racist. And sometimes people are just ignorant and they, they just truly don't know. I can give you another example from uh, work. There was this uh, uh, Mexican guy at my work and he came up to me one day and he's like, Paul, check out this picture. And he pulls up his cell phone and, uh, I look at the picture and I'm just like, like, because I'm a white guy, I see this picture and I'm just like, I don't know how I comment or say anything And that. Maybe that's like this feeling of like white guilt. I don't know. But the picture was basically this old guy, like you would picture an old white racist. And he was spraying this black kid who was sitting down uh, in the look like his front lawn, like spraying him, uh-huh. like, you know, get off my front lawn, spraying this kid in the back as he was sitting down on this lawn. And I was just like, Oh, okay, dude. Like, yeah. He's like, isn't that funny? And I'm just kind of like, Oh yeah, whatever. Like, you know, trying just to kind of get away basically. Uh-huh. And then, uh, my black coworker came over and he's like, did you see that shit? Did you see that fucking picture? I'm like, yeah, dude, I did see it. But like, I honestly, I told him, I'm like, I don't know what to do in those situations. Like, I feel like because I'm white, like I'm not allowed to have a comment or an opinion. You know, it's like one of those things where like you, uh, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's sure. like, oh, now you're getting mad at a minority. Like, you're the white guy. Now you're telling me how not to be racist. Like, fuck you. Yeah. And then if you're quiet, it's like, well, why didn't you stand up and say something sort right. of thing? So it's like you're caught in this in-between. But I uh, I told my black coworker, I was like, yeah. Like, I saw it and I was just like, what the fuck? 
And he's like, dude, I, he told me, he's like, dude, I am tired of this shit. I am fucking tired of it. I'm like, I, I completely understand how you would be tired of it. And uh, we got into this conversation. We ended up walking down. We have this big laundry facility and everything. So we're walking, uh, we're walking over to the elevators. We go down to the laundry room. We gather up some stuff. We're still talking. And then we get in the elevator. And I'm like, dude, this is going to bother you because you and I both don't know what is motivating this individual. We have no clue. This guy is, you know, joking around. He always has a, a good time. He's always jovial. I don't think he's, uh, the guy that had the picture is, is the smartest guy around uh-huh. and it's just obvious. He's just not, but, uh, that's besides uh, the point. Well, actually, it's, it's kind of part of the point because it kind of leads <laughs> I to. Was gonna well, say, I, mean, I, I was going to say. I was going to say it's kind of like part a of the bit whole, of the like, point because if he was yeah. smart, I mean, I don't think it's he part, would be making those jokes. Uh, oh, no, they, smart people do. Smart people do. Smart people are, are capable not in the of doing workplace. Like, dumb shit. Yeah, smart well, people not, are not, capable of doing dumb shit, and even in the workplace, sure, it just seems to be like the smarter you get, the the more you go. I probably shouldn't do that because that's going to have some unintended consequences. Exactly. Well, I've got another story where you'd think, yeah, you'd think that, but uh, no. And this person ended up getting fired and it was my manager. That's another story I can tell <laughs> after this. And it was crazy. But so we get into the elevator and there's the other, uh, you know, uh, token white guy, number two. Mm-hmm. Number two, he's in there. And after I tell my black coworker, I'm leaving their, their names out and everything intentionally. So I tell my uh, black coworker, I'm like, hey, listen, man. Um, if you want to confront him and you want to have a conversation with him, like, and I just, you know, pulled the other white guy over. I was like, we've got your back. If anything happens or anything goes down, we will stand up for you. Whether it's a, you know, verbal altercation or it's a physical altercation, like we've got your back. So we walk into our little meeting area where we have our meetings in the morning and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just wide open. So it's just the three of us. And then the guy that had the picture, and uh, my black coworker is like, dude, like, what the fuck is wrong with you for for showing us that picture and everything? Do you understand how that makes me feel? And immediately, the guy that had the picture, like, he just had this moment of just defensive attitude. He was just like, like, dude, I like, I'm not, I'm not racist. Like, that's bullshit. And then he, then almost like five seconds later, he just completely softened. And he's like, dude, I, like, I had no idea. Like, you know me, like, you know, I'm not a racist. You know, I love you. You, you know, that, that I would never intentionally do anything to make you feel bad. I just thought it was funny, but I, I, I didn't think about it. And the guy actually started tearing up and then my black coworker started tearing up too. And they ended up hugging it out. Yeah. And my coworker never did something. The guy that had the picture, he never did that again. Yeah. He never showed those pictures again. Like he never engaged in that sort of behavior. So a lot of times it's just other people not knowing. I feel like you should write a child's book about this and make it a little more child friendly, Paul. Teach kids some lessons here. If you use your words. Well, well, I think that's a lot of it. Like you can just like my black coworker, if he hadn't have tried to engage, it would have haunted him. And his feelings about this individual would have just gone from being good to just bad. And they would see each other 
And the guy that had the picture would never understand why all of a sudden they're just no longer uh, friendly with one another. But instead, they engaged in a quick conversation. It was quick. They hugged it out, tears, and it was fine and it was over with at that point. I think a lot of times people just... They refuse to have a conversation or try to understand. Even with my coworker that said that she didn't like white people. Because I don't have a background, when she said that, I didn't get upset. So there was no defensive attitude with me. I was just like, well, you're, you're basically become the person that you don't like. It's yeah. just another form of racism. And we, then we started shooting the shit about all kinds of stuff. And she couldn't believe that... Like in my 20s, like, well, I was still in my 20s and late 20s. I told her, I'm like, yeah, I was like the biggest party around. And she's like, did you, have you ever smoked uh, pot before? And she's like, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't. And I'm just like, and I looked at her, yeah, I looked at her like she had shit coming out of her ears. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, of course. I'm like, I still do. Like, you know, to try and sleep and all that kind of stuff or just to kind of relax. And she was just like, (laughs) or just to get high (laughs) or just to get high. Yeah. People don't like, I don't, I don't drink beer just to like go to sleep or react. I like getting drunk sometimes (laughs) and people, I like how people always, for whatever reason with pot, like it has to always like be like, you know, just to sometimes try this or that. It's like, or just to be high sometimes because you like being fucked up. It's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why I always laugh when people are like, you know, I'm I'm really into beer and um, I love the different tastes and the variety. I'm like, no, you like the fucking buzz. Oh yeah. Like if people, sure. It, yeah. And I'm like, if you truly just like the taste, then why don't you just get like an O'Doul's or just drink kombucha all day? And they're like, well, it's not the same. I'm like, yeah, because it doesn't lead to getting fucked up or a little bit of a buzz going. Yeah. Like, so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying like, oh, well, yeah, I just want to get a buzz or I just want to get I wonder, or, or whatever. There might be some of that too, um, but I, I could be wrong because I try to d- drink decaf coffee and it doesn't taste the same as regular coffee to me. Um, and well, I, there don't, is a difference. I don't really do yeah. caffeine. Uh, yeah, and so I'm there like, is a difference. But I feel like it tastes like hollow or something like that. But that could just be literally the absence of the addictive qualities of the caffeine there. Um, yeah. And so it, it becomes really challenging to separate um anyways sorry um we were we were talking about other stuff yeah well it it just with uh racism in general i think it gets flown around all over the place i even uh the lady that cuts my hair she was telling me she's like yeah my daughter experiences uh racism at the school she goes to here in santa maria (laughs) and uh my the lady that does my hair is mexican her husband's mexican but they're light-skinned and her daughter gets made fun of at school because she's lighter than lighter skin than her Mexican friends. Yeah. And it got so bad that she thought of pulling her out of school. And what they don't realize is that uh, my hairstylist brother, when they were growing up here, she's she's my age. So when they were trying to get her brother, her, her parents were basically trying to get her brother into um, a kindergarten here. Uh-huh. And he was not allowed to go to the school because he would be the only minority there. He was, he, he was refused. And it's because this town back then was completely whitewashed. Right. It wasn't the, the town that it is now where it's very diverse. And actually the majority of the population here is Mexican. So what ended up happening is throughout her brother's life, he excelled in the schools that he did go to and he ended up going to Harvard and 
the principal of the school that rejected him wrote him a letter apologizing to him. Like she knew that what she did in denying him entry to the school was wrong. And I know a lot of people will listen and say, well, that was illegal back then. Uh, why didn't they just file a lawsuit if all this, this this is true? That doesn't make any sense. Like I grew up in, in the 80s and 90s and yeah. I didn't see that shit. Well, it did occur. And filing a lawsuit is a huge undertaking. Oh, yeah. And it requires a lot of time and a lot well, of times a lot of money. Well, not everybody knows too. And minorities feel intimidated uh, by yeah. the system. They felt they feel already defeated by a system so like yeah. why participate in a system that doesn't favor you anyways like you're very yeah. likely going to lose even if the law is in your favor at least that or, is how some people can feel or you just get into the habit of getting used to it maybe uh-huh. oh, uh, yeah. her parents just got used to the fact that hey man this is just how white people yep. are sort of thing yep so, and then you fast forward and now her daughter's getting shit for being a light-skinned Mexican woman and she's catching shit from Mexicans that are darker skinned. Yeah. So racism exists across the entire spectrum and all of it is wrong. All we were saying is that uh, like when we're in support of Black Lives Matter, we're not in support of Marxism and socialism. Most of the people there don't even know what that means. Like you see all the the white kids running around and all that kind of stuff. Like I doubt they have Marxist and, and socialist sort of tendencies going through their head. Like they're they're sure. there because they want to support a movement or they just want to be a part of something sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but we attribute all these qualities to it. And all we're saying is that there's a vast majority of black people that are saying that they've been negatively affected because of their race. I have seen it firsthand. Like my black coworker, he got the shit end of the stick uh, from all of the, the coworkers in my, well, right. not all of them, but and it was interesting because it was other minorities talking shit about him. I mean, I remember like this one Filipino guy, uh, he was in his fifties and he was like, Hey, you should look into dating this girl. And then he prefaced it by saying, but you know, she dated a black guy. Like, I don't know how to answer that because I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, and I don't have the time to have a sit down discussion and have like a, a, a cultural check and be like, Hey, listen, like we don't do that here anymore. Like we have a history of that shit, but I don't sympathize with you when you say that. Like it doesn't fucking matter who she dated in the what past. Is that even what the skin color was. <laughs> well, that's because like a lot of us have evolved past that. I know, but I'm like, like you and to I think, are just what like, does what that imply? Like, like really think about that. She's that. less than that. She, she somehow like she made a mistake in the past by doing something. Sure, like Sure, but in what way? Like, does that mean like? But, but Paul, I got to warn you, like she's got bad judgment or like she likes things that you might not like or that like she it could be anything like what I'm, I'm trying to think like what that implies from somebody. I don't know. Anyway, anything. Um, look, I did want to bring up and ask, um, do you, uh, um, did you read the justice act 2020 justice act 2020? No. You're, are you familiar with it at all or no? I don't believe so. Okay. So the it, Justice Act is a um, congressional bill that is attempting to be passed uh, currently. And this oh, is, is that with qualified immunity issues and everything? 
Well, I don't know exactly what that is, qualified immunity. Um, can you explain that? It's basically, it gives immunity to police officers when they're taken to court and they are granted immunity unless they're um, not adhering to the law, they're grossly incompetent, or they're intentionally vital, violating someone's constitutional rights. Gotcha. So they're protected unless that happens. Um, yes. So I, I believe this deals with this, and I want to ask you, so this is from judiciary.house.gov. Is that a reliable source? Do you Fake. know? Are you familiar? Fake. It, name it, say it one more time. Judiciary.house.gov. Yeah, it sounds like the, the house's official website. Okay. So yeah, um, that, that this sounds This is called legit. the Fact Sheet for Justice and Policing Act of 2020. The Justice and Policing Act. And so this is just a, a short sheet um, that I kind of want to read through and get some of your opinions on because you know the law and I don't. Um, and uh, um, there was a longer link to the actual whole bill that they're trying to pass. And... Well, it was very long and very I was going to say, how many pages was it? Yeah, I, I stopped scrolling, to be honest. Um, so the Justice and Policing Act is the first ever bold, comprehensive approach to hold police accountable and end racial profiling, change the culture of law enforcement, empower communities, and build trust between law enforcement and our communities by addressing systemic racism and bias to help save lives. Um I kind of want to break this down like sentence by sentence, but I don't, I don't know if we should do that. I'll just say really quick. I think that unfortunately a few of these things right off the bat are going to like push people away by adding systemic race, ending systemic racism that doesn't even exist. And it's like, well, wait, you missed the part that says, let's try to build trust between law enforcement and communities. Can you get behind that? Well, no, because, because, uh, it says, uh, racism is systemic and it's not. So, well, I th- well, can I break that down really quick? Sure. I think that uh, a lot of people, when they hear systemic racism, they're hearing that we're still a country of uh, white people that are inherently racist. And I think when a lot of people are talking about systemic racism, it's not necessarily reflective of the populace now. It's laws that have been on the books for a very right. long time that disproportionately <clears throat> affect black people in negative ways. So I think that's and important that to kind of such parse a weird that terminology. Thing of, like Brett Weinstein's podcast with Joe Rogan at times was so paradoxical because he's saying all these things and then he goes, you know, but this is not racism. I'm like, well, that's my exact definition of racism. I think we're just using different definitions. I'm like, all your calls to action about like what we should do to fix America, like I agree with a lot of them. I think we're on the same page, but you're just like, you're stuck on these words because they make you feel a certain way. Um, and like, again, that's just why I was thinking we really need better language about this stuff. I don't know how to change language culturally. <laughs> like that's a task, right? But I mean, the point of talking about it is to make people aware of like, Hey, maybe we come up with some different terms and you don't call this person. Like you said, you know, the, the Mexican girl who is light skinned, or I should say Hispanic girl who is light skinned, um, because now I'm uh, assuming her um, country of origin. But um, so the Hispanic family or Latino, I could be confused. Look, I apologize. I'm not trying to offend anybody. And I, well, like, and I don't know either because some people will say like Hispanic isn't a term. So Latino, uh, that encompasses a larger group. My uh, the lady that does my hair 
she uh, her ancestry is from Mexico, so it would be appropriate. Okay, to call. so you did say that. Okay, so yeah. um, I I wasn't just pulling that out of nowhere, but um, at any rate, look, uh, you said the other Latin kids at school were making fun of the Mexican kid for being light skinned, and I would say. Like, that doesn't sound racist, but you called it racist. And it's like, but they're in the same race making fun of a person with the same race. It's not like saying my race is superior to your race because we're the same race. But that's what racism is, though. <clears throat> it's just looking at skin color and making a blind judgment. It has nothing right. to do and that's why with I'm saying, context. And, and that's why I'm saying we should come up with different terms instead of just blanketing everything as racism. Like, yeah. what do we call that? Because that is not a person with a KKK hood on, like, burning somebody's house down and trying to kill everybody that is something different and yes it is wrong and we can say that but we can come up with other wrong terms so we don't again get into this thing and say well we're trying to end uh, addressing systemic racism and then all of a sudden people who feel like they'll get pushed into that category because maybe they hold beliefs about cultures and how they need to be helped or assimilated don't feel like they're being completely pushed into that same category as the the person who in 1800 would have been called racist because they think that's what's happening is that they're being appalled and they're that they're being cornered and shoved into this category so then there's backlash like you know the BLM movement is uh, is just this uh, um, and that and they're a bunch of Marxists and blah 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 they end up doing the same exact thing but what I'm saying is and I don't know how to do this but if we could get more language we would piss off less people and we'd probably get along a lot better um, we're getting away from the fact sheet that we want to go to is just sort of another example of like why we need more language to help describe these situations so that people don't immediately like the whole defund the police thing and people are like well it's not it's not defunding it's doing this and it's like well then why did you say that and it's like well because that's what we call that thing and it's like yes but then people think that you want to take away all the funding and make it non-existent and they're like but that's yeah. not what it is they should just read and it's like I, I agree with you they should but they're not be smarter know how somebody is going to interpret your information. If you really want to get the point across, just don't use that word. Do you really want to get the point across? And it's like, yes, then, then stop arguing right now and just stop saying defund the police. Start saying yeah. like change how much money we allocate to them so that they can't buy military grade equipment. Because I think most people would go, oh yeah, I agree with that. They just hear defund and think take away all the money and they don't agree. So again, I'm just trying to point out if we could get more language and stop using things that are so charged and we could maybe explain a little bit more, like we're probably going to do a better job at communicating with the other side. Well, well racism, I don't think necessarily it's, it's a, a problem with the term itself. I mean, even in the context of my hairstylist da daughter, it is racist. You're saying that contextually, though, they're of the same race, but it's still racism. Like, I, I don't know sure. how there would be so another I, term so for it. Like, let's, well, let me just say this real quick. Like, the reason why uh, my hairstylist may have lighter skin let's say, is because Hernan Cortez came over and conquered uh, 
a large part of Mexico, the Aztecs, subjugated them into a caste system. And a lot of times there was um, the troops would come over and they would basically, because there was no women brought over with them, they would have sex with the women that were there, the -hmm. indigenous peoples. And then that would create a mixed race individual. They're called uh, mestimos, mestismo, I think. And that's the definition for a white person that... uh, um, that bred with uh, an, an indigenous person and then they mm-hmm. had a lighter skinned person. And if we were to look at the full context, it, her being light skinned isn't necessarily like it didn't have a great beginning. Her ancestors could have been forced into that. She didn't have a choice to be lighter skinned. Right. But you're judging these individuals based upon their skin color as if they had some sort of advantage to begin with. And then I told you about her brother and their upbringing and how they were treated in I this mean, very community at the beginning. So it's complicated. I'm saying that when people make a blind judgment, I mean, you could even do this with some of the uh, Trump supporters. They get super upset because they're constantly called racist and they're like, you're not getting to know me. You're not getting to know me. And then they say, oh, well, this is reverse racism. And it's just people not trying to understand the content of one's character and where they might be coming from. And some people are just fucking racist. Right. There's just that, you know, people that just say, I I just don't like this group and it doesn't matter what the fuck you say to me. I just don't like them sort of thing. But then there's a whole entire baggage that goes along with that. But some of it like and this is what I want to distinguish and this is why it's important is some of it is just uh, bigotry. Right. Which is not because of the color of somebody's skin, but it's based off of the content of their ideas. And there's a reason like we have different terms like a bigot and a racist um, because they are somewhat different. And if you call someone a bigot, they're going to feel different than if you call them a racist. Um, I am sure almost everybody would rather be called a bigot than a racist. And again, all I'm trying to get across is while you might say both are wrong and both are based off of this thing, what I'm saying, Paul, is understand that if you want to continue to do that, you're not going to get through your message as well as you might like to if we could choose to use some different wordings that are less abrasive where people aren't going to... Like, they truly don't think... That they're racist, Paul, because the, who they're comparing yeah. themselves to is the KKK. And they go, well, I'm not that. And you might go, yeah, but it's like the same sort of judgment. And they're like, they're not at all, because this, these people want to kill them. I don't want to kill them. I think well, okay. that they need this oh. or they need that. And what I'm saying is just that type of wording is instantly putting a wall between yeah. you and them. Yeah. And while all I'm saying is as much as if you and I are on the same side of that wall as we could go, well, they are, we can do that. We just have to recognize that we are now not going to work with them. And uh, you're not going to change any minds by just, by just saying racist. Yep. We're not working together uh, towards changing something. We just know they're going to be on the opposite team and we're going to fucking hate each other. And so, yeah, so let's use it if we just want to hate it. That. Hate them. Yeah, we're on the same page. But I'm just saying that, that racism, <laughs> it, it crosses. I mean, every single race, we're all human beings. Like That's why I always think like, you know, back to yeah, our early I ancestors. Know, I know, I know. know, like. They just watched like a group of their their family members, you know, our, our African ancestors, what, 250,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they're growing in population and everything. And then all of a sudden, one of the elder sons is like, you know what? 
uh, I want to branch off and I'm going to go north. And you know, the family's like, oh, cool, go explore. Like, what could go wrong? And then 100,000 years later, they're in a different climate. Uh, the populations have moved further north and they've completely forgot about the fact that they, that they all came from the same exact place. You know, they're just the early now ancestors like, are waiting. Kill like, <laughs> yeah. It's different. And it's, kill him. And it's just blind. Yeah, it's yeah. just blind judgment. But we Isn't all it? come from the same place. So we're all capable of the same wrongs and the, and the same uh, blind judgments that we've come to resent over time. Sure. I do want to get back to the to the fact sheet uh, because yeah. we got through one sentence of it and then branched off for 15 minutes. I will start. Not over. shocking. Fact sheet. <laughs> Justice in Policing Act of 2020. The Justice in Policing Act is the first ever bold, comprehensive approach to hold police accountable, end racial profiling, change the culture of law enforcement, empower our communities, and build trust between law enforcement and our communities by addressing systemic racism and bias to help save lives. The Justice and Policing Act would, one, establish a national standard for the operation of police departments. Two, mandate data collection on police encounters. Three, reprogram existing funds to invest in transformative community-based policing programs. And four, streamline federal law to prosecute excessive force and establish independent prosecutors for police investigations. That's it. Four areas. Now, mm -hmm. it says the Justice and Policing Act of 2020 will work to end racial, uh, end racial and religious profiling, prohibits federal, state, and local uh, enforcement from racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling. Also, mandates training on racial, religious, and discriminatory profiling for law and all, all law enforcement. Uh, in other words, they would have to take some type of classes. Uh, and finally, it requires law enforcement to collect data on all investigatory activities. Um, so now that they have the data, they can see if they are actually doing these practices. Um, so you wouldn't have to have like the JOD go into Ferguson and do this whole big research project and figure out what the hell's going on. You've already got the data. You just look at it. It's already yeah. in a computer system or whatever. All right, the next uh, bold line. Saves lives by banning chokeholds and no-knock warrants. Bans chokeholds and uh, carotid holds at the federal level and conditional law enforcement's funding for state and local governments banning chokeholds. Bans no-knock warrants in drug cases at the federal level and conditions law enforcement funding for state and local governments banning uh Banning no-knock warrants at the local and state level requires that deadly force be used only as a last resort and requires officers to employ de-escalation techniques first. Changes the standard to evaluate whether law enforcement's uh, use of force was justified from whether the force was reasonable to whether the force was necessary. Uh, condition grants on state and local law enforcement agencies establishing the same use of force standard. Um, we're actually almost done. This goes pretty quick. <clears throat> Limits military equipment on American streets and requires body cameras. You know what? I'm just going to read the bold points here because really then it just says limits transfer of military grade equipment from state and law and local enforcement, which is exactly what the big bold point said. Um, Holds police accountable in court, so this is making it easier to prosecute offending officers by amending the federal criminal statute and um, prosecute police misconduct. Uh, 
this is just amending something that says willfulness to recklessness. I don't know. Um, enables individuals to recover damages in civil court, investigate police misconduct, empower our communities to reimagine public safety in an equitable and justice uh, and just way. I love this part. Um, and I do want to talk about this after the bill reinvests our communities by supporting critical community-based programs to change the culture of law enforcement and empower our communities to reimagine public safety in an equitable and just way. It establishes public safety initiative, uh, sorry, innovative grants for community-based organizations to create local commissions, task force to help communities to reimagine and develop concrete just and equitable public safety approaches. These local commissions would operate similar to President Obama's task force on 21st century policing. Um, change the culture of law enforcement uh, with training to build integrity and trust. Uh, improve transparency by collecting data on police misconduct and use of force. And make lynching a federal crime. So when I go through this, I don't look at this and go, what the fuck? They want to get rid of lynching? How could they? They want to make that a federal crime instead of state crimes? Like, that's bullshit. Um, I don't look at any of this and think it's really an overreach. I mean, to me, if anything, I would say, like, does this go far enough? This seems, you know, pretty easy going. Here's what I want to say is that it seems fair and partisan. What are your initial thoughts on it? I know you haven't read it. I know you had to listen to me read yeah, it. And there was a lot there. And there's a lot there. Um, but does it strike you? Does it sound... Well, as you said, it goes from a reasonable use of force to necessary. So it's um, just changing one word. Yes. Because so it it's sounds be like the, the whole reason anyone standard. would want to do that is because it sounds like court cases have been one off of what is reasonable as opposed to what's necessary, right? Yeah, to be an ordinarily prudent officer operating under the same or similar circumstances. That would be a reasonable person type of standard. Right. Necessary. I wonder how that would be construed. So there's no, what would an officer do in that situation? You must prove that it was necessary in that situation. That the officer should have done that. And that, that was at the benefit of the community. So if someone, like if someone does, you know, they're, you're telling them, uh, let's say you have probable cause that someone's like committed a felony or whatever. And let's say that uh, it's been reported that it's been violent and you're going to make an arrest. The officers have guns drawn already. There's multiple officers, let's say. And the person just decides to reach in their pocket real quick and pull out a what you think is a gun. Like you're thinking they're reaching into their pocket really quickly. And it turns out to be a cell phone. Would they look at using force in that instance as necessary? Like, because it would be reasonable under that circumstance because you're sure you're rolling up on someone that's just committed a violent felony. You have probable cause. It's a reliable source, multiple sources. They've identified the individual. They know who it is. They come across that person 
And I'm not talking about this in a racial context. I'm just saying if someone was, well, you so, know, because there is death by cop, you know, suicide right, by cop where right. someone will try and do something so that the cops will execute them. It's a rare circumstance, but it does happen. Couldn't you just argue, though, that if he did have a gun, it would have been necessary. And given the context, that is what I thought. But that would be, I would think that would be more of a reasonable, reasonably as opposed to prudent, necessary. Uh, yeah. What would a reasonable, a reasonably prudent officer under a similar situation? So or essentially what you're saying is do? part of the issue with this is when we change the word from reasonable to necessary, then we can say, well, in hindsight, it wasn't necessary. So you're fucked. Exactly. And I'm not sure what that would do to the police force in, in general. And I don't necessarily like laws that are focusing on the aftermath. I like preventative measures, just like we were talking about with um, black communities and schools that are failing and all that kind of stuff. Like that's focusing on the ground floor. Like you need to focus from the ground up sort of thing. So if you're focusing on what happens in court, that means that when it pertains to an officer involved, you know, shooting and someone's killed, a suspect is killed the life is already taken. It's already in court. So you need to go further back and figure out like, how can we prevent this stuff? I think uh, mandatory body cams, I think that's super important because that'll keep officers in check. I mean, a lot of people are already filming cops as Mandatory body cams, it says mandatory dash cams. So, you know. Oh, I think they should have body cams. I think that protects the officers as well. So there's no he said, she said sort of thing. It's documented. It needs to be on all of the time and there needs to be a standard in place if there's some sort of malfunction. That's And the there thing needs with, to be tech experts that can prove that that device malfunctioned, which yeah, is why it was off yeah. in the first place. Like there can't be any fuckery in this sort of thing. Well, I and think that's training the thing is with a, a lot thing. of this is that like this, this doesn't just protect people. And like, I think some people will look at this and say, oh, this is just to protect criminals. Like, no, this not only protects innocent people, Yes, it protects criminals, but what we have to ask ourselves is, regardless of whether the person's a criminal, do they then deserve to be punished like this, okay? Um, And I don't think they do. Um, However, that like this is, when I say, do they deserve to be punished like this, quote unquote, give an example. Whatever that example is, um, you know, it doesn't need to be harsh. Um, If... Paul, if somebody killed me and then they were on the run, running down the street and the police are chasing after them, like the police don't need to shoot them at that point. I'm already dead. Okay. While shooting them might feel like justice to some people momentarily. All right. Um, You don't know what happened. You don't know the context of their history. You don't know what I did to them. You don't know anything. And so again, um, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, this is to the benefit of everybody, even the criminals, because we don't know what they deserve yet. That is the point of the courts. If you don't believe in that, um, you know, maybe you should take your own advice and leave and go move to a different country because half of the first 10 amendments in the constitution are about protecting your rights from tyrannical governments and courts as a citizen so that you don't just get persecuted without any fair trials or any judgment. I mean, that's this weird thing in America that I don't get. You studied law. I don't even study this shit, but you go and you read, you know, the 10 amendments and even thereafter, 
almost all of it goes into protecting yourself from the law because it gets so tyrannical. Like, what don't we get about this at times? Like, we think that the law is always just just and our whole country was built off of like, no, it's not. We better build some shit in here because it's going to go wrong because people in power like to abuse it and like to take over and do things and get more in there and prevent the crimes from happening by no knock warrants. Okay. So well, in the no knock warrants, uh, because it, it is, you're supposed to knock and announce, but it doesn't necessarily constitute or doesn't constitute a fourth and fourth amendment violation in terms of an unreasonable, uh, governmental search and seizure. So a lot of times you are supposed to knock and announce, but there are exceptions to that. But if that rule is violated, the exclusionary rule under the fourth amendment doesn't apply. So the exclusionary rule says if you are faced with an unreasonable search and seizure, that the evidence that is found as a byproduct of that, the fruit of the poisonous tree, then that evidence can be excluded from court. Yeah. But what they're saying is that even like drug cases and everything, you could say, you know what, we heard fumbling around in, in, in there. We thought that they were dumping drugs and they were trying to get rid of evidence. So we didn't knock and announce and they bust down the door and they end up getting shot at. You know, the person could be, you know, uh, gathering but their trash in the trash can. police end up dying on these things too. And all I'm trying they to do. say is that like, yeah. this will help protect them. If, if your law enforcement is a loved one, like let's stop putting them in such dangerous positions all the time. Look, if a cop served a no-knock warrant at my house and all of a sudden I just hear someone fucking break in and and things rushing in you bet your ass I'd grab my gun and then I'd be dead well, yeah, we live in a Second Amendment uh, society. Yes. You have your right to Why to wouldn't I? And if I home. have a gun and I'm pointing it at the police or I start shooting, I don't know it's the police. Look, they could no-knock yeah. warrant and come in and say this is the police. And in my mind, I've seen enough TV shows where pretend police pull people over and then kill them or rape them or take my shit. And my mind just goes there. I know like that doesn't. I, well, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think it doesn't happen a lot, but I've seen the show. So it, it pops into my mind. Um, yeah. And, well, uh, there was a case recently where that happened where uh, officers, they went into the wrong apartment. I can't remember if it was Atlanta or what, but they busted down the door and the, this guy thought that his home was being invaded. So he began shooting and they ended up shooting. I think it was his girlfriend or wife. And killed her. Yeah, and they Breonna were in the Taylor. wrong apartment. Was it? And they yeah. were in the wrong apartment to begin with. Yeah, they and were in the, the wrong uh, uh, apartment. Yeah, and she's an EMT, and they shot yeah. and killed an EMT. Yeah, um, and that's and that's not. Uh, I know that's part of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything, mm-hmm. and that just has to do not with racism. It, it has to do with police tactics and the rules in which. Uh, they're governed by so Fourth Amendment rules, and 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 that's why the Fourth Amendment is such a, a huge deal because if officers violate that, and let's say they spend two days gathering evidence, and but they violated a person's Fourth Amendment rights, their reasonable expectation of privacy, uh, all of that evidence can be excluded. So their job is completely undone. Right. I mean, there's even exceptions to that, like if they would have found the evidence e- even. Uh, with the violation, but that, that stuff is, um, pretty rare. So the law is very complicated when it comes to this stuff, but that's why you need officers that are but trained they, and first. I, and I understand think even this with stuff. the law, the question becomes like, if that's your loved one, like I have family in the police, like I don't want them in that situation. I wouldn't want that to be my 
my cousin who's a police officer or cause cousins, Absolutely. I have multiple cousins. Like I wouldn't want that to be them. Like, yeah, man, I went in there and there was, we got the fucking place wrong and I shot and killed her. Like not only yeah, do they I don't want, want that. Uh, yeah. Not only yeah. do I not want them to like lose their jobs and never be able to, you know, get a job doing what they trained to do again or what they've been doing. I don't want them to have to live with that on their conscience. I don't want yeah. them to have to then talk themselves into mentally defending themselves into why it was okay and like what type of toll that's going to take on their relationships with others because some people will feel remorseful but other people's will go well you know um, it was my rights and now everyone's just out to get me and like someone was shooting at me so it's it's not my fault she died it's her fault she died she shouldn't have been in there with someone who was going to do that in the first place and like I don't want them to become that person who that's how they think. And so like, if, if you have law enforcement who are doing these things, you shouldn't go, well, they're brave and that's just what comes with the territory. And you know, I, I love them no matter what it's no, this shit takes a toll on people. Okay. Yeah. Police officers have higher divorce rates, especially after these types of things happen because it's abuse. Yes. PTSD. Yes. Because it's hard shit to deal with. Yeah, with the well, suicide by police too. Yes, I mean, I've oh, police officers have op- higher suicide by police. No, no, no. I'm saying like when a when a uh, a suspect like they'll make a, a oh false they call have PTSD or they'll commit a crime from that stuff. Yeah, because yeah. They, they killed someone yes. who was looking to be killed by the police, sure. and they were the ones that pulled Dude, the trigger, all and of they the just people- feel awful because the person was obviously depressed or had a problem, yes. and they were looking for someone to take their life, and they knew if they called the police and they did, you know, some specific type of move or act of aggression, that that would give them cause to. Right. kill that person and then they have to live with that for the rest of their lives like a, like the vast majority of cops are good people we just need to work on weeding out people that have multiple violations so I think making those violations available to the public is a good thing that way the public can can check the officers themselves and say hey listen there's an issue here especially with the amount of backlash and the amount of media involvement in this kind of stuff if all this stuff comes to light and you see someone that has you know like uh, Chauvin has 17 uh violations and those violations are serious and a reasonable person just outside of the police force would look at that and just be like this is ridiculous so you when, know, when then we the have hierarchy an, would take action when we have investigations in the police department right now um it's called internal affairs correct I, I'm not. Uh, well, they'd have internal affairs, and they, they will look at uh, that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure on the specifics of how they conduct that. Like whether it's always internal affairs, because I think internal affairs a lot of times too is based upon uh, corrupt officers. Right. And otherwise, I think there are ways of uh, of internal investigation just within a department. And then, um, too, just on a side point. I think prosecutors, prosecutors have to work with these police departments all the time and they'd form a relationship with them. And let's say there's an officer that you just know, like, and you just love and adore and you had this great relationship and they, and they do something that violates their oath or they do something wrong. Um, or even there, they didn't do anything wrong and it was reasonable under the circumstances. I don't think a local prosecutor's office or DA, DA's, DA's office should have jurisdiction over that. I think another prosecutor from another jurisdiction that doesn't know that officer should be brought in as impartial. Yeah. So that you can have an impartial uh, trial, basically. Yeah. To yeah. where the, the, you know, there's, 
uh, no bias or anything going on and just make this as impartial as you can. Um, yeah. And I don't know if a federal rules will do a whole lot. The biggest problem with our, our federal system is they are always passing regulations and it's gotten to the point where they don't even have the money to enforce the regulations. So they're like, oh, well, we just passed something with the FDA and we're going to require uh, companies to do this, food but companies to no do this. But there's no way to require it. There's no way to enforce it, to check no it. Way to, to, yeah, there's not enough money to enforce it. So then they, uh, so then they, a lot of times they'll just be like, oh, well, we'll have the companies enforce it. <sighs> and it's like, what? Yeah. Like, well, they'll abide by it. I mean, come on, Bob. Yeah. It's some will. There's a lot of good companies out there. But the thing is, is that there is always someone that is willing to sink to the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And they're willing to violate the law because they can increase shareholder value and that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of this stuff um, needs to exist on a state by state basis. Um, but a lot of times, too, if you leave it up to the states, there may be states that are far too lenient and then they don't do enough. And then the wrongs just keep getting perpetuated. So you could set up a federal framework. So if that's what they're doing, then then fine. And then, yeah, that I feel like the federal state law. framework should really come after different states have tried different things, right? You try different things for 10, 15, 20 years because the issue is I'm like, I'm all for instituting it at once if it's going to save lives. Yeah, I get that. I'm not saying like I'm against that. What I'm saying is we don't know the ways in which it's going to backfire. We don't know all the side effects that this is going to have. And so we can't like pick from among the best outcomes. If we make everybody do it at once, it's like you have no control variable. If this were a science experience uh, experiment, there is now no control, um, which is a, a, a group or a variable to compare things against to say, ooh, this is how it could have been. And this yeah. is what went wrong. Maybe we should go back. Um, yeah. And that's why I like the idea of having 50 states and 50 independent ideas that can try 50 different things, some similar to one another. And then we can look at it and go, look, it's been 10 years, 20 years. Like, it's working fantastic here. Let's use this now as the framework for everybody. The issue becomes is people wouldn't want to do that because they go, well, you're just letting people die in the other states. But it's like, are we though? Which, because you don't know what could well, have present happened. present a problem. It does, it but does. it's like hindsight's twenty twenty. So yeah, like we could have saved all these lives, but you don't know had we implemented this other framework, what the outcome would have been. How many lives might have been killed or taken because well, of that? I'll put I'll put it to you this way, like with uh, let's say like a federal emissions regulations for cars, uh-huh. they they set a reasonable threshold. But if a state like California wants to be stricter with that, they can go ahead and do it. So the federal government wants to set a reasonable threshold for for all police forces across right. the United States. And then if those states want to be stricter, they can. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but at the same exact time, I think just having a state by state. Um, and basically kind of negating my point from before saying, <laughs> you know, that we shouldn't have federal regulation. But if the federal regulation requires a substantial amount of money and oversight. I don't think that we're in a position to be doing that. But if they set up laws which kind of create a framework for the states as a starting point, and then those states can be, you know, stricter if they need to, but they cannot... Um, break uh, the federal regulations. And I think that is a, a good start. And even with the no knock uh, warrants and eliminating that, I think that's a good thing too, because I mean, yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, you want to, to notify them, like knock on the door. And if you, that way you give them the, the ability to understand, okay, I do have police at my door. 
I do have drugs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, give them the opportunity to at least come to the door. And if they don't come to the door, then you resort to forceful entry. Yeah. And that, and, but even doing that, that does put officers' lives at risk because you're giving someone the opportunity to potentially arm themselves, but you're also giving them the opportunity to disarm themselves. So you just, you really right. don't and, but know. Then, but I think you have to take a step further back. And this is kind of beyond the discussion that I think we're going to have today and what these are some of the solutions I was looking at is drug law reform, substantial drug law reform, decriminalization, you know, and preventing the officer's need to go and kick down the door. Yes. And I'm not, and, and can I go on a little bit of a tangent yeah, with this? do it, go. People are going to call me crazy because, I mean, I was completely against all types of drugs and all types of legalization uh, up until around the age of 28. And then more recently, I started reforming my ideas a little bit more. But I know a lot of people, even uh, liberals, would be like, that's insane. But I just hope people will hear me out. Decriminalize possession of drugs, legalize drugs in general. We cannot allow drug dealing, though, because there's a lot of violence that is a part of that. And, in, and that includes right. buying guns that, that people shouldn't have. They're able to buy the guns because of the value of the drugs. That puts my brother-in-law, who's a CHP officer, at risk. I mean, if you're pulling over someone that has, you know, $300,000 of cocaine in their car and it's just one dude driving, he's just going to be like, I'm going to serve my entire life in prison. So wouldn't it be reasonable to shoot your way out at that yep. point? Absolutely. So you need I 100% to somehow... Agree. Yeah, so you need to somehow cut that supply chain. If you think, if you are listening and you don't think that's reasonable, if you go, oh, I'll just give up and spend my rest of life in a cell getting beat up and raped in the ass, that'll be cool. Like, really? Yeah. That's what you would do? Well, I, I wouldn't have made that decision to begin with. No. Well, then that's listen. always easy to say. You, Yeah, but that's what I want people to really think. Like, if you are a drug dealer, if this was your best way of making income, if you grew up in a culture or a society or a part of society that said this was acceptable, and yeah, you were yeah. trying not to get caught, but now you got caught on this big, big break that you were going to have $300,000 and make it, and now you're fucked. You're going to jail forever. forever. Like, forever. Yeah, you're done. You don't have a but, life anymore. You might as well be dead. Yeah. But you got 300 grand if you can get away with this and you don't want to shoot and kill somebody, but like there's only one cop here. Like, yep. You might as well just try and get away. Yeah, that sucks. But like, it's my life or yours. And I think people are, are forgetting like, like you think you wouldn't do that. Then if this were a thousand years ago and our countries were at war together, you wouldn't go fight for your country either because you're not capable of killing for yourself so that you can preserve yourself in your family and your future. And if you go, well, no, I would definitely do that for my country and for my this and, and back then, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, that's what they're doing. They're not seeing this as like some nationalist thing where it's like they're killing their own fellow American or the police department. They're killing somebody else for themselves and for their own lives. All humans are capable of it. Yeah. You are not well, let me beyond that. Continue. Well, well, let me draw a little parallel too, because I think there, there were, there's going to be uh, mostly those on the left that'll be with me so far. They'll be like, "Hey, yeah, decriminalization." And Will all they that. think they and would kill a cop? 
Well, I think if they were in that situation where they're facing life in prison, I mean, it's always up to the individual. Some individual, maybe they don't have a gun on them. Who no. knows? I don't know if and all maybe the rules they, would agree with us on that, but maybe. I don't know. Well, I think it's reasonable in that circumstance if you're facing life in prison, and it really depends on the individual, too, and what type of person they are, what kind of background. But I think in that situation where, I mean, you're taking a life to preserve your own, and that's an extremely selfish thing to do, especially since you just have $300,000 worth of cocaine in there. But then the alternative is that your life is completely it's over. over. Yeah. You're going to totally. be in prison for the rest of your life. You're going to be told what to do each and every day. You're going to have to face other people in prison that want to do your do you harm. And it, you know, the list goes on. I know. I'm just imagining but, like someone right now in my family being like, well, then kill yourself. Don't kill somebody else. Like, oh, yeah, good. Let's just tell everybody that. And you... Problem solved. Good job. Yeah, That's it. But, you solved but it. Just <laughs> human, you know, preservation and all that. Like it's just like it goes against every single instinct that we have. Yeah. So well, you saying you know, that the, doesn't change anybody's mind, like because well, everyone Monday morning quarterbacks it. But I, I hope like and then if you're a wait, what's a Monday morning? This, like, what's a Monday morning quarterback? You know, you, after the game is over. Yeah, after the game is over, and then you're like, well, I would have done this, and it's like, but you weren't in the game, yeah. dummy. And the game happened. Like, you know, I would have done Sunday. this. Like, had I been strong enough to play football and get in the professional leagues and actually been able to throw a football, could run really fast and I was strong and I could lift yeah. things and I could do all these other things, then I would have done Like, yeah, but first you got to do all these other things. So good job there. But, but the thing is, is that like I was talking with uh, my former boss and we were talking about, you know, my thoughts on decriminalizing uh drugs and he's he's going to vote for Trump and everything and he's very conservative and has a lot of the same ideas that I used to have so I understand where he comes from on this and he was just like you're insane he's like the last thing I want is a meth head to be breaking into my house so we have to prevent that and I'm like well first of all most people that that do drugs first of all don't become addicts necessarily and there's a small percentage that will engage in crime. And it's because they want to find resources so that they can feed their addiction by buying more drugs. So they may buy right. burst in your house. So I have a solution to that. But before the conservatives stop listening, if they are listening right now, <laughs> if they've made to, it this far, <laughs> if they made it this far, they haven't turned it off. Look, we need to hippies. start talking more conservatively because you and I are both conservative. I mean, you said you are only yeah. for some of these things if we are not raising. Well, the I'm taxes. a libertarian. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm a libertarian. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much where I fall. Like, I'm yeah. pretty much a moderate. So I take some Republican positions and some Democrat positions. And I just try to take the best of the ideas of available so that we can kind of move forward as a, as a society not kumbaya that's not how this is supposed to work paul it's you're either a democrat or you're a republican and you support them no matter what they say even if a republican says something that sounds kind of democratic you go no it's not idiot and then you just vote for yeah. the republican <laughs> well yeah and we just tend to fall uh, across party lines and everything but you know i wish when i was talking to my former boss that i would have mentioned like you know, there's a lot of Democrats that are super concerned about mass shootings and everything. And there are some Democrats out there that want to see the Second Amendment just wiped out, abolished and just recall and, and just call all the guns that are out there. Yeah. Well, there's 300 over 300 million guns. And that's not even that, you know, those are people that are lawful lawfully in possession of firearms. Sure. So that's not even taking into account the illegal gun trade because of drugs. And Democrats will be for decriminalization of drugs 
because the drug war never works. It has never worked. It will never work. Drugs have always been a part of our society and we always, you know, invent new ways of getting drugs. So we'll never be able to end it. And that's why we haven't ended it since, you know, Nixon started the war on it. It's only gotten worse. We've only spent more money. So if if we tried... It's as if conservatives believe that, like, the only thing stopping you and me from just fucking smoking shit tons of crack and breaking into everybody else's house and the only thing stopping everybody is the war on drugs. And it's like, no, if there is no war on drugs and people can just go get crack easily, I'm still not going to do it. And it's like, well, kids will be raised around it. Yeah. And they'll see crazy people fucking possibly breaking into homes or being on the side of the street. And they'll be like, or you, why is that guy homeless? And it's like, cause he's smoking crack. And they'll be like, Oh, I guess I'm not going to do that. Like, or I, you educate. Yes. You don't say like, do you don't do Nancy Reagan and say, uh, just say no, because that's stupid. Like it's so stupid and it's never I worked. I was thinking like, about what that. you have to do is you have to teach them about the hierarchy of drugs. Like there are some drugs like like marijuana can be engaged in recreationally. Can we just you're not going to really pot is completely equivalent to beer. I was thinking about that today. I'm like, I, I want to have my sister come over tomorrow and stop by, and I don't know what her husband would say if he sees my weed plants, and we like barely even smoke weed, um, like once a month maybe, um, and I, like because I. I don't know. I don't think he's super against it, but I know he's definitely like not for it and probably never done it. Um, well, they say like, why do we need one more drug? And I, I would, I but, would agree. Like, why do we need one more? But it's the thing is, is that it'll never go away. There's nothing we can do. We can spend our entire military budget on trying to call this stuff and it'll never happen. I mean, listen, I think I made a joke uh, a few episodes back or probably closer to one of our first few episodes and I was like, you know, it's a boon for Netflix in the narco series because we go, you know, we take down a cartel south of the border. And then we're like, we're done. We got Pablo Escobar, we got him. And then and then there's like this massive amount of violence so they can reorganize and determine who the new leader is. Then they fracture into different cartels with new leaders and great leaders and then they consolidate more and then you get El Chapo. So it's just like you get one cartel after the other, and it's great for the narco series, but it just yeah, because it will never saying, end, never, ever, ever. It will never go away. The end and of that's it will be to- uh, with Paul in in twenty forty being like, and that's how we amended <laughs> the drug war, and that'll be the end of the narco series, and <laughs> it'll just be me smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> how do you think i'm awake how do you think i made it this long i've been that's, smoking crack the whole time that is hilarious uh but so what i would say in order to bridge the gap is that there are people on i would say the, the far left that want to abolish the second amendment and they want to abolish all guns in general and that is a very small group a very small group. Most people just want like reasonable gun control and right. everything. And sure. but they have to define what reasonable is because I think some of the standards we use are just kind of, you know, frivolous and they just make us feel good. But imagine trying to take away 300 million guns. It'll never happen. You right. can point to other countries that, that have them and everything or that don't have them. Well, they didn't start with them to begin with. 
So trying to, to put the cat back in the bag, and it just will never happen. So we need to have good laws. I mean, if, in order- it, if it could happen, you'd have to imagine a very uh, invasive method for doing so that would probably infringe on most Americans' rights in well, more ways rights. than five. Like it, it would be it, it, just so it, invasive. But then you'd have, then you'd have just, you know, then you'd just have a, a, a drug trade, a black market drug trade, along with a black market gun trade now. Sure. Yep. Like it, like right, like it would just oh, yeah. go underground, no, just like with prohibition of alcohol. It, it just caused more violence and more problems. Right. So the way that I look at it is, you'll never be able to pull back guns. So you have you. Uh, keep the laws in terms of allowing people the right under the constitution to maintain a firearm to protect themselves in their home and they have concealed carry permits yada 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 and then but you can also apply that to drugs like it never it is never ended i know a kid in sherman oaks who was stabbed to death because he went with his friend to go talk to a drug dealer who sold his friend marijuana and his friend was like, oh, I don't think I got what I bought. You know, I was supposed to get more. So they got into a little bit of an altercation and it wasn't the friend who bought it that got stabbed. It was, you know, the person that I knew that tagged along. I remember like showing up to the house in Van Nuys. I was working construction and everyone's just in tears crying. And I'm like, well, what happened? And, you know, she had to explain that she lost her son and he was stabbed to death in Sherman Oaks. And that's over pot. Yeah. Over fucking marijuana? Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? And right. then the the thing is, is that someone told me uh, when I was talking to this individual about it, they're like, they're like, well, he shouldn't have been there. And it's like, are, are you goddamn kidding me? Now it's legal. Right. You know, 10 years later, it's fucking legal. And it's like, well, the world hasn't ended. Right. Like we're, we're all still intact. But the thing is, is that the people would be yelling right now saying, well, Paul, so you want to, just to have a crack dispensary and you want a meth dispensary. And I thought a lot about that. I'm like, that does seem a little ridiculous, a little bit far, but you do need to cut the supply or the incentive for drug dealers yeah, to be it, dealing the way in which they are. It, so my... It shouldn't be, I mean, no, I'm with you on this. And like, I do think that if, if things were legal, they would go up, um, especially when they are disguised as things that are good for you, such as pills, because heroin use has skyrocketed over the last 20 years. And you might be like, really? People are using black tar heroin again? No, it's Oxycontin. It's Vicodin. Anything that ends in codeine is a heroin. Fentanyl. There's so many types of this shit. And and it has been on the increase. And so when it's described as that that heroin. Well, yes, of course, if you can't when get you, these things. And and so yeah. if it's described as this um, good thing that a doctor is giving you to manage your pain and then it becomes addictive, like, yeah, we have seen things like this on the rise. And so you can't really use that as an example, though, of how like it could go wrong because now someone's telling you it's good. People aren't like, this is bad. You need to stay away from it, but you're already addicted, I guess. So let's try and get you off. This is people going, hey, this is good for you. Come on take this. I'm going to give you this much and, you know, just keep, let me know when you need a refill. Do you need more? I could give you more if you need more. Just let me know and and we'll get you a greater prescription. You're talking about the dealers. I'm talking about the doctors, Paul. Oh, 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 oh. Well, but a lot of times they they cut people off though after a little bit. Like if they have a suspicion because I have a family member who wasn't allowed to get off of it. 
due to their uh, insurance saying that they had some type of disability. And when they wanted to lower it, it's like, okay, well, if we lower it, then you aren't meeting this legal definition right now. And therefore you are able to work and you will no longer get workers compensation. Okay. And this person being addicted to it and trying to come down from it was experiencing pain. And so this is not uncommon for people who work in the yeah. studios to get addicted to pain pills um, and to to use them for years and years and years and not be able to come off of them and that the doctors just keep writing them. No, they in 20 years, yeah. it took literally, it took finally some random doctor to be like, that that's it. I'm got here's the date, and then they're gone. So you better figure yeah. your shit out. Well, um, and then a lot of times people don't figure their shit out, and then they find uh, a dealer. Exactly, to exactly. Give them they just buy it off of a friend who they worked at the studios with, who's in the same exact position. And then you don't know what the fuck nope. you're getting. Nope. You, you have you have no idea. Bingo. And so let me let me just kind of reframe like the way that I've been thinking about it. Like you don't see a Budweiser representative going to an elementary school or going to a high school to distribute their booze. No. And mo so because those in companies are incentivized not to do that because they'll get in a ton of trouble, lose their license, and then their shareholder value goes away and the company is just kaput at that point. So they, they don't do that. The way that drug dealing typically works and like friends who have dabbled in various drugs, it's never like some nefarious dealer that comes up to you. It's like a friend that knows a friend <laughs> yeah. who has a dealer and like you're in a social setting and it's like, oh, let's just try this. Like, it's really cool and all that. So you don't even you're not even thinking about like this person is going to get you hooked on something. Right. But you have that personality that gets you hooked. And then over time you need more and then you realize like your friend, it doesn't have enough to supply. So then they tell you to go to someone else and then you finally con get in contact with a dealer and that becomes your supplier. Yep. So what I'm saying is that you need to somehow cut out the dealer. So they're well, incentivized then people to become dealers. Dude, I used to sell pot uh, because like I got my card and other people didn't have their cards and they're like, oh, I don't want to get my card because I don't want to be at a list and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Can you just pick some up for me? And then like all of a sudden I'm just like, okay, I'll charge you an extra five bucks, I guess. And then this person wants it and I'm like, oh, I just made fucking... 25 bucks that that paid for my weed uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do this a little more a little more and now i'm finding myself becoming the drug dealer i'm like well it's not that bad i can get it legally and so when i'm transporting it and i'm selling it like i'm just hiking it up five bucks on an eighth they cost 50 bucks i charge yeah. them 55 bucks like no big deal i'm the one who had to pay for my card to get it and yada 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 and then yeah and then so now it's like then I tried other things in my life and then started to get them for myself and other people were like, can you get me that? And I'm like, oh, I guess this feels really different though. And then like, but I could have just as easily, maybe if with a little less upbringing been like, yeah, I could get you that and mark that up and go, you know what? I should just start doing this all the time. I'm, yeah. I can make well, it's, good it's money easy. off of this. All my friends want it. I'm the one willing to do it. I haven't gotten caught. Like this is a great well, extra income. And so, well, it, well I, dealers I, are in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to say that, like, sometimes you think like that. Dealers have started out being this like mischievous person who want to do it. But I'm what I'm saying is like, all of a sudden, I, like, 
I was just smoking pot and went and got my cart and thought it'd be funny to get my cart on 420 so I could go buy myself some pot 10 years ago. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm a weed dealer and I didn't even realize it. Well, it starts off innocent too. Like, I mean, you could be giving someone something like uh, methamphetamine and it becomes like a casual, like, oh, this is fun. And then because you're young and, and you don't know enough and you haven't seen enough of life, you don't realize that your friend over time is going to end up destroying their yeah. life Yep. Um, until, you know, it's too late. So what I'm saying is you need to somehow uh, de-incentivize the drug dealing itself. And they, they're incentivized by getting uh, people to try it, first of all. So maybe through someone like you who has some friends and, oh, try this sort of thing. And then over time, some of those individuals will develop into addicts. And that's where your bread and butter is. Like, yeah. that's where you're making all of your money. That's where a lot of the alcohol companies make their money, which is why when you walk into a 7-Eleven, you see a whole section of like just tall cans that are cheaply priced and everything, but they're high alcohol content. Like those aren't for casual drinkers. Right. Those are for people that, that honestly yeah. have a serious problem. Yeah. You know, you'll see a homeless person with a tall can of steel reserve and the alcohol per tall can is, uh, you know, 14% alcohol by volume. Like they'll get Wait, you fucked is up it really quick. a steel reserve is 14. It may be, it's like between eight and like 14, like they Jesus vary, but Christ. a lot of those cans. Yeah. They're, they're really, really high up there. And the alcohol companies make a ton of money off of that. Um, and I think a lot of times they make most of their money off of that. And drug dealing is the same. They make a lot of their money off of people that develop into addicts. Yeah. Uh, but they don't have quality controls and everything. So it's a very tricky process where some of the addicts will get killed. You hear about addicts that are heroin addicts. They start off in New York and let's say they somehow they make it down on a trip or whatever to Texas and their friends like, Oh, let's do heroin. And they shoot up, but, and they overdose. But the reason is, is because when it crosses the Mexican American border, it hasn't been cut that much. But by the time that heroin reaches New York, it's been cut by this dealer and then this yeah. dealer and this other dealer. So it's watered down by that. So there's no consistency in the right. product. But what I'm saying is if we looked at it differently, and this is where I think I'd lose Democrats and I'd probably lose a lot of conservatives, but it makes common sense in my mind. If you had, uh, if you decriminalized drugs, you still made it illegal to deal in terms of like hardcore drugs like uh, methamphetamine or fentanyl or heroin or whatever, but it was okay for you, like if you started getting addicted on anything, whatever, whatever the type of drug it is, you can go to your doctor, tell your doctor in confidence that I've got an addiction. They can test you, let's say, to see, to just to verify, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a meth addict and they'll be like, okay, well, we're going to run a test to make sure that you are truly a meth addict. They, they run the test. It comes out positive and they say, okay, well, what's your threshold? Like how much are you consuming? And the doctor will actually prescribe them. So take the money from enforcement, put it into that, have the government either manufacture the drugs themselves or contract with pharmaceutical companies to have these drugs manufactured. They cannot be um, marketed, mm -hmm. but they're available through doctor prescription. And so let's say the meth addict goes in there and says that I need, like I, I'm addicted and you know uh, I need this stuff at this point. The doctor can... Uh, play both sides of it. Like we will provide resources for you to get off of this. We encourage you to get off of it, but we want you to have a clean supply. Right. So we're going to give you meth. We're going to have, we're going to observe you while you're on it to make sure that the dose that we're giving you isn't too high. 
and then we will give you a prescription on that, but it's illegal for you to distribute this in any way. And you could have even like, I even thought with like pill containers and everything, it's ridiculous that a doctor prescribes you, uh, opiates and they give you a bottle filled with 60 pills. Like, why don't we have pill bottles that are, you know, tamper resistant or tamper proof or they're, if they are tampered with, they're made in a way that it'd be evident that they're tampered with so that the doctor could be like, wait a second, something's going on here. And then they could have the conversation before the person turns into a full-blown addict. Because, sure. I mean, having 60 pills available is ridiculous. Like, oh, take one by mouth. But you took one by mouth in the morning and you're like, that felt fucking good. So you have, you know, six of them throughout the day. And then right. the next day it turns into eight. And then it turns into this horrible cycle. But I'm saying supply the drugs to the to these addicts with an incentive to get out of that cycle. And then also you would be taking the money out of the pockets of the dealers now because the addicts are going to want to go to the doctors because they're going to have a clean source and a supply that they know is reputable and reliable. So you'll be taking the money out of the drug dealers hands. And at the same time, if the drug dealers don't have money coming into their pockets, where are they going to get the guns and ammunition all of a sudden uh, to act all tough on the streets and defend their territory? So it would be good for gun advocates to say, hey, listen, all of a sudden we have uh, fewer death rates. We have fewer or uh, 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 incidents with guns. I wonder if that's where the argument should start. Hey, do you want to get the guns out of the hands of drug dealers? Well, I think you have to satisfy both sides. You do, but what I'm I'm saying is you said said it yourself that the presentation of the the first thing, like legalizing all drugs, you got liberals, conservatives are gone. Okay? Um, And then you... But the conservatives... Oh, sorry. Well, I'm just saying you eliminated half of America and then you go, let me eliminate the other half really quick. Um, I now want to have uh, doctors prescribing it and you can go get it whenever you want. All you got to do is get tested, blah, blah, blah. Now you've got the other side going, peace, I'm out. Now you have nobody left to listen to you and say, and that's how we get the guns out of the hands of drug dealers and make this a safer place. I'm saying you should start with that and sort of yeah. do maybe some more like Socratic questioning. Like, well, where do they get their money from? They get their money from dealing drugs. What if they didn't deal drugs anymore? What if we had a government sector deal drugs who didn't have some type of monetary incentive to shareholders and to its CEOs and to this and that to continually sell or increase uh, increased profits on these things whose goal yeah. and whose oversight was maybe by psychologists and, and, um, um, what's the Mental term? health institutions. Like, yeah. you know, some Re- rehab avenues, people who run rehabs yeah. and stuff. Um, you know, what if, uh, yeah. they oversaw this committee, um, and they became the drug dealers, but did it legally. And now you don't have to worry about drug deals going wrong in your apartment or this or that, or blah, blah, blah. And you well, go, imagine cops. Well, how do you do that? Um, yeah. Like imagine there cops so not many... having to enter these areas yep. that, that don't have drug dealers anymore. Sure. I mean, it will never be a perfect, it'll never be a perfect system. But in plus, if where's the addict's incentive to break into my old boss's house now? Right. I mean, if the if they're not needing to break in and steal valuables in order to buy the drugs, Bingo. because it's being provided to them because they're looked at as a, as an addict, as someone that has a problem that needs to be addressed through, like you're saying, psychology and help. Right. Uh, and with addicts in general. 
they have to to want it on their own. Sure. You can't just and, tell someone, and this stuff will not go away. Well, people unless, say, who's going to pay for all this, Paul? Uh, I think the really easy answer is, look, if you don't think we could manufacture our own fucking cocaine cheaper than it takes to get it imported from Colombia, sold to, from one drug cartel to another, then smuggled across the border, then sold to some, uh, you know, drug dealer here in the United States who then subsells it to some white guy who you feel more comfortable from from uh, to buy your drugs from than the guy who actually gets it. If you don't think we could sell it for cheaper than that, then you're out of your goddamn mind. Because yeah. it's not going to cost that much to make this well, stuff once we have the resources. And then we can still sell it cheaper than whatever it takes them yeah. to sell it. And what do you think the long-term effect might be on these other countries whose um, economy is somewhat dependent upon this illegal drug trade with the United States. But you're missing other externalities, though, too. I mean, if we're no longer having to enforce uh, drug policies anymore, the, you know, do you need a DEA, DEA anymore? I think we spent almost a trillion dollars or more on the drug war and it just hasn't worked. So you allocate those funds and maybe maybe you take some of those half of the funds and you put it into uh, police training. And like we're saying, the federal government needs to do a better job of training police. Uh, we put part of it in that. You take the rest of it and you put it into uh, manufacturing and treatment programs yeah. uh, for the addicts themselves. And then there's another externality, too. If you know what you're getting and you and there are people that are aware that you're an addict that is suffering maybe that'll lessen the likelihood of you entering a hospital because you've been keeping it hidden. Right. So there's other cost reductions that may come into play as well. I mean, we saw with prohibition of alcohol that violence exploded. So we had this idea that we were tired of alcoholics and alcohol because of domestic violence, of drunkards being in the streets and all of that. But then you made it illegal and it got even worse because everyone was so trying to hide it. I violence increased. I don't think you need to sell anybody on those points. I think what you need to sell people on is the idea that like what people are worried about is that their children are going to end up doing it. Um, you know, that, that it's yes. going to get to their kids and but the more dealer won't be there are, are going to if, do if they can't get your, if they can't make money off your kid, the dealer isn't going to be there anymore. Right. So, so you um, try to take that away. They turn into like the Anheuser Bush and it's like, okay, you know, maybe we'll have some, you know, Democrats will get upset about uh, a lime infused beer because, oh, the kids want that and, and that kind of stuff. And but, you know, I think that's a better alternative when it comes to drugs and everything like you can still parent your kid. But if the drug dealer isn't there because your buddy isn't going to have the drugs to begin with because the dealers aren't incentivized to be there because they can't make money off of addicts anymore you can nip a lot of this stuff in the bud. And another thing to uh, incentivize conservatives is a lot of people living south of our border in Mexico, uh, Nicaragua, Colombia, uh, El Salvador, all of these nations, a lot of the people there love their countries. Sure, the, some of them are economically depressed and everything, but they love their fucking country. Right. and They don't want to travel by foot all the way up here to try and seek asylum because they're being fucking murdered. Right. So imagine if there's a decrease in the in immigration. You don't need the goddamn border wall anymore. You don't need people fleeing across the border. There's no, you know, coyotes or drug runners and all that kind of stuff. It dries up. Yeah. 
So that would be an incentive too, to where it could help our legal immigration process so that we can check the individuals that are coming here. And, and then we help these other nations to do away with being riddled by drugs because Americans are willing to spend the amount of money that they do. I think there's still going to be some people off based off the principle. So, um, and, and I'm not saying this to naysay because I agree with you and I want to think about how to better present this argument so that we could get more people, more and more people on board with this, um, really present something and, and create some change with it. But, um, uh, talk about helping the black community and everything too, like not treating them as criminals. And the thing sure. is, is that you look at the problems that, uh, in Acton where we grew up, they were very minuscule, but most of the problems came from the, the little trailer park in Acton. There yep. were higher drug rate use. There was, uh, more interactions with the cops, right. um, parents that just weren't there for their kids and not everyone in the trailer park, but it was just a socio, uh, economically depressed area. And so it's not necessarily just a black community problem, but it's just a problem that plagues poor communities and p- communities that don't have a whole lot. Right. So if you address it differently, then instead of mass policing these areas, maybe there won't be such a need to mass police and be worried that uh, someone is a drug dealer that is armed that's going to shoot to kill. Right. So maybe there'll be an overall decrease in so, crime. But but we just all we know is that what we're doing right now does not work. We know that for a fact, and the drug war has not ended. So if we want to talk about helping uh, the black community and everything, maybe we should help them by treating them as you know people that are uh addicts treat them as like you know someone that has a medical problem right so again i, th- I think we got to make sure we could sell this here's what i see happening is that uh i i've worked with parents in the past who will have um a child who swears okay so i remember i worked with this kiddo um and Uh, whenever we'd ask this kid to do something, she would begin swearing, pulling her pants down, lifting her shirt up, things like that. And I remember mom coming out one time and saying, Hey, you can't say that in my house, blah, blah, blah. Like you need to sit in time out and think about what, what you're doing. And I go, mom, 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 she's saying this to get your attention right now. She wants you to come over and get all riled up. She knows that when you come out, and, and you're that you're going to take the demand away from her. Now she's not going to have to go clean her room or maybe you'll talk her through it and, and help her calm down with her emotions. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Do not address it. Just go back in your room. And she goes, I know she does it for attention, but I will not have her talking like that in my house. And I'm like, right. But mom, what you're doing will make her speak like that again tomorrow she's gonna do it again because she likes what she's getting and she goes so what am I supposed to do just let her say it and so I think there's this idea that if she doesn't do anything at all that that she isn't being a good parent and she's not then attempting even though in the long run that would be the most helpful thing what I think you're going to get is that people who like go yeah 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 I get it but I'm just not going to condone drug use and so just based off of principle they go I see what you're saying but I'm going to immediately dismiss it because what am I ju- I'm just so I'm just supposed to let people do drugs 
and that's going to be okay. Like, so we just, that's it. It's just, it's over. Just drugs are legal. now, and Anyone could just do it and, and we'll all just smoke crack. Like, like, you know, uh, and it's like, just gets blown out of proportion where it's like, you're, don't you want this to stop? What I'm saying is this isn't working and here's yeah. an alternative solution that has been shown to decrease these types of things, right? Re- rehab is better than no rehab. And we've shown yeah. that. And so if we take more of a rehab approach and try to get people open to it, we know that it'll be better than nothing. And rehab's not very successful, by the way. Um, many people relapse, but uh, a lot of people, I think it's like four out of five people relapse. Um, yeah, it's because they go back, you know, you go back to the, the yep. same place, the same area, the same people and all that. It's the same situation. And you just hope yep. that in like you're saying, the environment doesn't change. So why is the individual going to exactly. change? It's so easy to get back into it. But that's why if we change the but environment it's better than and nothing. we take trying this is yeah. better than nothing is all I'm saying. Look, Paul, we, exactly. we are well, we're at two hours almost. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, this is a long one. Yeah, we're at an hour and 45 uh, ish. I, I don't even know what we're at to be honest, actually. Is it, that would be our, yeah, we're at an hour and 40, 45 minutes. So look, um, I want to pick this back up next time a little bit, but I also didn't really get a chance to talk about what I liked about the, um, uh, what was it? The justice act, um, which was, uh, talking about reforming the structure of police and how we see, um, police or our responders in the community. So I would like to come back to next episode just to discuss that idea a little bit, like what should police look like in the community? What should be their role? Um, And can we have different types of police officers or can we at least section up the types of police officers job and make sure that they are doing equal amounts of different types of things. Um, if they've got eight hours in the day, one hour is spent catching bad guys, but one hour is spent helping people and one hour is spent, um, yeah, doing this so that all they see every day isn't bad, bad, bad. Now I'm already getting into it. So let's save that for next time and discuss okay. that a little bit. And let's talk more about, um, the drug war, war on drugs and how maybe that even pertains to police officers. Because again, if that's all they're seeing all day is cracked out people, what do you think they're going to expect from me when they pull me over in my crappy 13, 14 year old car that's all yeah. beat up and looks like, you know, a crack somebody, addicts car. Yeah. <laughs> like there's like duct tape on it and this and that. And it's like, look Your officer, I just don't want to pay $300 a month for a new car. And I know how to work on this myself. So I just keep pushing it back together and it's like well why are your tags expired then and it's like well because the whole pandemic thing happened and i couldn't go get a new part for my car again i said i work on it myself uh and then i tried to pay for it online and i could but i didn't get a smog thing because i moved and it's like yep 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 sounds like a bunch of excuses uh you crackhead (laughs) so anyways yeah um yeah, let's get uh, let's get back to this on the next episode. Um, but thank you everybody for listening. That was episode thirteen, uh, and we will continue this next time on Wayward Weekly. This has been a big horn and stay in. production. Wayward.